today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. Just look for those threads that you can pull on a little bit. That you think, you know what, that, that's not too far off. Let me, let me pull on that a little bit. We can faithfully and carefully apply the gospel to people in our context. Understanding the city around us should lead us to speak the gospel in an understandable way. What we're aiming at is not this perfect cultural analysis that we feed into a computer and out comes the perfect gospel presentation for that person. It's just understanding a bit about them helps us to kind of be careful in how we communicate just to make sure it's understandable. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Paul had such a good way of preaching the gospel. Pastor Ricky relates Paul's methods to us today. Paul educated himself on the people group he was going to preach to and then related to them prior to bringing in the big guns of the gospel. He found common ground that got them listening and then began to preach the good news. Take Paul's example and apply it to your life. Get to know those around you and be a missionary in your own town. You don't need to travel far to share the good news. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 22, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Missionary Work in Our Own City the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us for, and he's going to quote some, some of their own poets here, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or an imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now later we'll see that after this he gets cut off because they start shouting at him and making fun of him because he mentions the resurrection of the dead. But, but there's a few things that will be helpful to notice about the way that he approaches preaching the gospel. First, notice that he starts where they are and walks them from there to the gospel. I think it's fascinating. He finds a point that they have in common and says, okay, from here, I'm going to take you all the way to the God of the Bible. So basically what he does is he says, hey, you guys, I mean, he's grieved, but he's, you guys seem very spiritual. And they're probably thinking, yeah, that's right. I like this guy. You, you care a lot about pleasing the gods. You're very religious. And in fact, you're so religious that you have a statue to the unknown God just in case you l- leave one out, you know? It'd be like if, if at Kara's wedding, there was like a little placard somewhere that said to the unknown guest, you know, just, just in case, uh, you know, Uncle Larrabee from two generations ago and, and third cousin kind of shows up at the wedding somehow, you know? That, I mean, these guys are just, they're covering their bases. They're saying, okay, you know, just in case we forget somebody, we're going to put up an extra one, which I think is hilarious, but... I guess you guys are like not thinking that's funny, so that's fine. 
I think strange things are funny. So, so he, he even quotes some of their own poets to show the similarities in his worldview. In other words, he's not endorsing, just so you know, he's not like endorsing all these Greek poets and saying, yeah, you guys should read the Greek poets. He's saying, okay, as, as whacked out as you guys are, here are like two things that are actually true and I think probably line up with a biblical worldview, right? And, and, and the fact that he's doing this is, is so important if you look at the book of Acts as a whole, right? Because if you've been tracking Paul's speeches throughout the book of Acts, he doesn't preach the same message every place in the exact same way. For example, in, in Acts 14, he talks to a group of Gentiles, but they're peasant farmers, right? So, and, and they think, remember, he, they think that he's Zeus and, and the other guy's Hermes, so he talks to them. He knows these guys are farmers. So he speaks about God to them in terms of agriculture. Talks about the God who gives rain and ordains the seasons and stuff. He, he's, trying to, he's saying, hey, I mean, you guys get this, right? Well, in Acts 13, when he speaks to the Jews in Pisidian Antioch, he goes through literally the entire history of the Old Testament. All the highlights to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And then in Acts 26, he stands before Herod Agrippa who's a Gentile, but very familiar with the Jewish culture. And so he kind of gives him a mix of both Jew and Gentile message. You understand some Jewish things, but here's things you wouldn't understand. He preaches differently to different audiences. And, and I think that's fascinating. And it's important for us. It's important for us because 50 years ago, we might have been able to assume that basically everyone more or less has the same worldview as us. They, they believed in God or they didn't believe in God, but the God they did or didn't believe in was the God of the Bible, Right? where today we can't assume anything. People may have never heard legitimately about the God of the Bible. So we must start, when we talk to people, where they are. Otherwise, they're just going to be confused. And this is crucial, especially, especially in a place like El Paso, where we are a very religious city, but it's a city that's culturally religious, so everybody thinks that they know who the God of the Bible is. They think that they know exactly who Jesus is. They think that they know who mankind is in light of that stuff. But if you take that and line it up with the Bible, you're thinking, that's a strange, yeah, you know, I believe in the God of the Bible. You know, he's kind of in everything and, and um, you know, we're all part of it, you know, kind of like that movie Avatar. I, be I believe in your God in the Bible. And you're thinking, okay, I, <laughs> whoa, that's not the God of the Bible. So it's important for us to get at, okay, what, what are, what's your worldview? What, what do you think about God? And be careful to readjust it. So here, Paul readjusts three big, big things to help them get the gospel. So first, Paul adjusts their view of God. And notice what he did in the speech. He first establishes that God is the ruler and creator of all. In other words, not like the Greek myths where one God makes one thing and one God makes another thing and one God makes another thing. He's saying, nope, one God made everything. And he also rejects pantheism where, you know, God is just kind of in everything. We're all part of the divine, stuff like that. He says, nope, creation and God are not the same. A lot of people want to put creation and God together. In other words, yeah, creation is God in some sort of mystical, strange way that only makes sense when you burn incense. You know, there's an element to where Paul is saying, it's not this and it's not that. Here's the God of the Bible. Do you catch that? Does that make sense? And then he corrects those who think that God or the gods just wound the universe up and just kind of let it run, but they don't care anymore. He says that his God, the, the God of the Bible, is deeply involved in human affairs. He gives life and breath to everything. In other words, he didn't just create and then leave like the Epicureans would say. He, he's actively involved. And then, I love this, he corrects the religious view that human beings can just sort of domesticate God in a temple and get them to do what he wants so that God is sort of like a well-trained but very large and violent dog that if you know how to deal with him correctly, 
He'll give you what you want. I mean, honestly, if you think, if you think about it, that, that's the way that a lot of these, these Greek people treated God. In other words, I know exactly what to do to push Apollo's buttons to get what I want. And Paul's saying, this God is not domesticated by anybody. So he adjusts their view of God, but then he also adjusts their view of mankind. And Paul sets up a very high view of mankind. He, he talks about mankind as the offspring of God. In other words, he's getting at, in, in terms that they can understand, the worldview that, that God made men and women in his image. He's getting that to them in different words, which I, I think is brilliant. And in verse 27, Paul says that men were made to have a relationship with God and that this is something that is inherent in the heart of every person. So he's saying, God created you in his image and he's created you for a relationship with him so that you might find your way to God. So he adjusts their view of God, their view of mankind, and then he adjusts their view of salvation. So he doesn't say, you know what, in light of all this, you need to live in line with the divine or you need to seek moderation. No, Paul is clear that the response called for from his message is repentance. He says he commands everywhere people to repent. And this means to turn away from sin against our creator and turn to our creator. And how is this possible? Well, Paul begins to tell them about one man. One man God has appointed to judge the world and who was vindicated when he rose from the death. Jesus. So, this is what Paul's done. He's, he's kind of tweaked their view of God and said, okay, here, here's God. Now you get that. Here's a view of mankind. Okay, you get that. And now in light of those two things, I'm going to begin to shape out for you a view of salvation. And honestly, I think the funny thing is, even if you're not really a Christian, you can probably still identify with one of these worldviews. In other words, you're kind of this mystical, spiritual, avatar-esque spirituality or this, you know what? The God's not really involved. I'm just going to try to make a good life for myself. Paul is also preaching to you this morning. His message is relevant for you as well, that what you need isn't more spirituality or more balanced life. What you need is Jesus. So what can we learn about being missionaries from Paul? Well, Paul knew off the bat that yelling, hey, the Jewish Messiah has come, would not go over well in the city of Athens. He would probably be put in a, in a very tight jacket in an, into a padded room. These people who had no understanding of the biblical God, no understanding of the biblical view of humanity, could not understand Paul's gospel without him building a framework for them to understand. And in a similar way, we have to understand that the people around us may not be able to understand the message of Christ without understanding who God is and who we are and how to be saved in light of that. We have to listen carefully to people. We have to be astute observers like Paul was, who could walk by a statue of an unknown God and say, you know what? I think I can use this as a starting point to talk to people about Jesus. We must listen to people carefully and find a place for us to begin telling them about the gospel. I, I met a guy at the coffee shop this week that was really very hostile to, to, to me talking about God. And I, um, I began to engage him in conversation just as I was leaving the coffee shop. And, and so he, he was very adamant, though, that he did not want to talk about God because he'd had some difficult circumstances in his life. And I told him, well, you know, sometimes God allows things like that to happen for a reason and to get our attention. And he's violently like, no, I do not want to talk about God. And, and, and probably because he, he'd been through some very difficult situations or maybe he'd encountered Christians that were hypocrites or something like that. But, and the way that I left it with him was, you know, we exchanged emails and hopefully we'll be able to keep in contact somehow in the future. He, he made a statement that I thought, you know what? I wonder about that. He said, you know what? Sometimes you have to lose everything in your life to find what you're looking for. And I thought, well, Jesus said something similar, didn't he? 
And I thought, okay, by God's grace, if I ever get another chance to talk to this guy, and I did pull on the thread a little bit and tell him what Jesus said along those lines. But if I ever get a chance, I would love to pull on that thread. And so what Paul is saying is just, just look for those threads that you can pull on a little bit. That you think, you know what, that, that's not too far off. Let me, let me pull on that a little bit. We can faithfully and carefully apply the gospel to people in our context. Understanding the city around us should lead us to speak the gospel in an understandable way. What we're aiming at is not this perfect cultural analysis that we feed into a computer and out comes the perfect gospel presentation for that person. It's just understanding a bit about them helps us to kind of be careful in how we communicate just to make sure it's understandable. That's what we're looking for. So for us as Christians, do we take the time to listen to unbelievers, to draw them out, to understand how they think? You know, maybe, especially if you're in a long-term relationship with somebody, what you should be looking for is not, you know, a silver bullet that's going to convert them, but rather just seeking to engage. Okay, what do you think about God? What do you think about why we're here? What do you think the point of our lives is? And, and using that and understanding that and, and really not just listening so that you can later deliver the gospel, but listening because you care about them, because you're concerned, because you want to be their friend. Ask yourself, do you, do you know your city and your culture? This was an interesting adjustment for me a few years ago where I realized, you know what? I don't know this, the culture of the city of El Paso as well as I should. You know, I don't, I don't know what the majority of people pursue and think are going to make them happy. I don't know what the majority of people fear that also kind of reveals what they want. I need to be a better student of the city. And so I've been trying to for the past several years. And so do you know the common points in common with our culture? Do you know where things need to be adjusted? The point of all this is to, to try to get us to think like missionaries. Well, what do we need to understand about this person, about this city, about this neighborhood in order to get the gospel to them effectively. And, and honestly, folks, this is going to take, this is where I've had to readjust my expectations, this is going to take planning for the long haul. See, this is, I, I would love if there was like a one-and-done evangelism course I could do to fulfill my obligations, you know, to be a missionary in the city of El Paso once a year. Because I could, like, you know, I could work it up for like, you know, the four or five-week course and, all right, I'm going to be an evangelist for these weeks. It's harder. It's harder, isn't it, to do what our brothers and sisters who were in Tacoma are doing? where they're saying, you know what, I, this is a commitment not just for a time slot, but for a lifestyle. And I think that's what Paul's commitment was. That's what he's calling us to commit to, is not just a time slot, but a lifestyle. And third, understanding the city doesn't change the gospel we speak. Understanding the city should grieve us. It should help us make the gospel understandable, but it doesn't change the gospel that we speak. Now, you probably picked up the fact that Paul didn't finish his speech. He got shouted down, as it says, I think in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. And, and the reason this happened is that Paul mentioned the resurrection. And the resurrection was really difficult to understand if you were coming from a Greek mindset. Because Greeks would, would separate out that matter, stuff, was evil, basically. And that the spirit and spirituality, that was good. So matter's bad, spirit's good. And so for a savior of anybody to leave matter, which is evil, and then come back to it was absolutely incomprehensible. It was offensive. It was like saying, the thing that you think is evil, that's exactly what our savior is. In other words, it's like, whoa. And so it, it, it caused a major train wreck in their worldview. But... 
even though Paul knew it would be offensive. Remember, he's a good student of the city. Remember, he knows a lot about the city of Athens. He still didn't stop from declaring the whole gospel to them. You know, I, I bet Paul, being a skilled orator, as, as we, we can glean from his letters and writings, may have made a good showing of his presentation of the Areopagus. Maybe he would have gotten some applause if he had removed the most offensive part of his message, which was the resurrection. But it was so bound up in his message that he couldn't remove it without removing part of the gospel, meaning that it would be no gospel at all. I'm sure the pressure was enormous for him to try to make that part more palatable, to kind of tone it down, to back off a little bit. But he doesn't do that. Because here's the point, that Paul may preach differently in different places, but he doesn't preach a different gospel. It's the same gospel that he's been preaching throughout the book of Acts since his salvation. And it's the same gospel that we're going to watch him proclaim before Herod Agrippa and kings and courts throughout the rest of the book of Acts. See, all these elements are there. There, there is a holy God who made the world in his speech. There's the fact that human beings are accountable to God, but condemned by their sin in God's judgment seat. There's a Savior who pays for our sin with his own life and is vindicated in his resurrection. And there is a response of repentance that Paul is calling for. So this means that while we work hard to make the gospel understandable, we must make sure that it is the gospel that we mean for them to understand. See, it will do us no good if we figure out, being astute cultural observers, what kind of message people want to hear in El Paso. That the reason you listen isn't so that you can come up with a message that people will want to hear. The reason you listen is to get the message across to them. You listen for the questions people have. And you don't give the answers they want to hear. You give the gospel. That, that's our task. So for us as Christians, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. We cannot. It, it will offend some people. Because it is offensive. Any message that starts with, hey, there's a good God that created you, but you know what? There's a little detail you need to understand called, you killed the Son of God. And there's another little detail called, turning to Christ will mean renouncing all the pleasures of sin that you enjoy. Okay, that's offensive. I mean, I don't know how you communicate that in like a less offensive way. There's no way to do it. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. But... The fact that we don't change the message we preach is a good thing. See, there's great hope for us when we trust the content of the gospel. In verse 34, there's some sweet words. But some men joined him and believed. In the midst of this group of people that are saying, no, this is foolish, get out of here. Some were listening. Some consciences were pricked and they came afterwards and talked to Paul. Some men joined him and believed, among whom... Also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. In other words, the reason Luke puts their names in is because they were probably well known. In other words, he's saying, hey, some of the people you know were saved with this speech. Recently, I was at a church planting conference, and, and, and I'm just keep using stuff that I found because I, I love it. I'm just going to keep using good stuff. But Dave Harvey was talking about preaching the gospel and, you know, understanding the culture and preaching in a, in a helpful way to, for the culture. He was at a conference where the whole point of the conference was, you know, contextualizing the gospel. Let's make sure this is understandable to people. And, and there was a Q&A session, and he was on the Q&A panel. And, and an older gentleman, for the most part, the conference was filled with like 20-something, 30-something pastors. And so this older gentleman comes, and he's, you know, kind of in his twilight years of ministry and says, you know, 
guys, I, I love what you're doing, but I, I mean, it's unrealistic that I'm going to, you know, begin listening to, to music that 20-somethings are going to listen to. And I just don't know if I'm going to be able to infiltrate that culture. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the gospel like the way that these guys can. I mean, I, I don't love lattes. I just love black coffee. And I just, I, I don't know what, I don't know how to connect with people the way that you guys are. So what, what do you want me to do? And, and to the point where you could kind of hear this guy, like a deep sigh coming out of this guy. So I love, I love what Dave Harvey did. He said, brother, I just want to tell you what I think the New Testament would tell you, and that's this. Brother, preach the gospel and trust that it will save. Preach the gospel and trust that it will save people. See, what, what ultimately our hope rests on is not the fact that we'll somehow be able to crack the cultural code and get the, the right, perfect gospel presentation to people, because we won't. But we can't have confidence that the gospel does save. Our confidence is not in our cultural, anthropological, sociological abilities. It's in the word of God. That's where our confidence lies. See, the gospel speaks to every culture and every city and every nation and every country. It is relevant for hipster culture and retirement RV culture, for chopper nation culture and Chicano culture and immigrant culture and, and every other culture imaginable. It will and does save people, regardless of our abilities. And that's where our confidence has to be. All we have to do is be faithful to the scriptures by seeking as best as we can to make it understandable to people. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you know, this is, this is the insane claim made by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Christians claim for the gospel. We claim for the gospel that, that the gospel is not for nice you know, suburban, middle-class people who have their lives together. That's not what we proclaim. It's not for one culture, one, one race, one nation. Whatever conceptions you have about the gospel, read the book of Acts. The gospel goes to every culture imaginable in the ancient world, and people are saved. You know why? Because the gospel addresses the fundamental human need we all have. All have this fundamental human need to know God, and we know that deep inside us. He's, he's put eternity in our hearts, as Paul says, so that we might feel our way toward him. Maybe you're here today, and you're, you're feeling your way toward God. You, you think, okay, it's just out of reach. Listen to Paul's words. He says, this God loves you and made you, created you for a relationship with him. This is what will ultimately fulfill you. This is what will bring you the most joy, not in stuff, not in status. There's no other God you could put on the throne of your life that will make you happy. That ends in death. But if you will turn and repent and put Jesus Christ on the throne of your life to, to love and serve for the rest of your life, you will find joy unimaginable. And we can tell you about it. Yeah, feel free to talk to any of the brothers and sisters here if you have questions. We would love to tell you what a difference the gospel has made in our lives. So, in the midst of our attempts to make the gospel understandable, let us remember that the gospel is the power of God to save. And let us trust it and know it well. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. work is a topic that fills stadiums and excites the body of Christ. Maybe you're not sure if you're called to be a missionary. And while you may not be called to a distant land, God has called everyone to share Jesus with those around us. 
And the book of Acts details powerful examples of missionary work through the disciples in the first century church. Examples of sharing Jesus in everyday life. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it's just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website, betternewsradio.com. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.